Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of IntelliGame Radio. I'm your host, Josh Boykin, founder of IntelliGame.us, a place where we make connections between games and the real world. If I asked you what video game music sounds like, how would you respond? Would it be with the rushing, energetic tones of Sonic the Hedgehog's Green Hill Zone? Would it be the fanfare of the classic Final Fantasy Victory theme? Or maybe would you bring up the once 8-bit notes now known around the globe? The, the Mario theme. Sorry to subject you to that torture. <laughs> Perhaps it would be some other piece of music from the countless titles created in video games' short history. Music has always been important to humanity and our cultures. It's been revered and feared, praised and villainized, honored and banned. Music reaches us in a way unlike any other medium. If you can hear it, you can't simply choose not to. Our bodies respond to it, moving in rhythm or not rhythm with the beat. Music can bind tens of thousands of people together in a singular emotive experience. Obviously, crafting these musical experiences takes dedication and skill. Name a game with a great soundtrack, and it was created by a person or a team of people who worked for hours trying to craft the perfect tunes to accompany you along your journey. Each melody is a series of individual notes which could stand alone, but when brought together, create something wondrous. It's the combination of parts into a whole. Composition. That's this episode's theme. We start the episode with an interview with Andy Brick, composer and conductor for the Game On Concert Series, a touring orchestral concert featuring music from huge franchises like World of Warcraft and Civilization, as well as smaller but loved titles like Until Dawn and Ori in the Blind Forest. From there, I'll talk about some of my own experiences with video game music over the years and the importance of giving game music its due. Finally, we'll close out with a game recommendation from IntelliGame Club curator Jenny Windham, which will speak to the potential composer as well as the potential green thumb in you. Let's go ahead and get started. Andy Brick, welcome to IntelliGame Radio. It's good to talk to you today. Thanks for having me, Josh. You composed the Game On Orchestra concert that I saw in Portland, and it was a really great show. Talk a little bit about sort of how you got into game music. Well, first, thanks for coming to the Game On concert in Portland, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, I got into game music a long time ago, way before it was popular or anybody really even took it seriously. This would have been back in the 1990s um, oh. that I got into it. And what had happened was I had won an award as a composer for film scoring, and I was out in Hollywood. And part of the award that I won gave me an opportunity to meet with some lawyers and agents, and everybody was saying, well, you have to move to Hollywood in order to have a career in film and film oh, wow. music, which I guess there's a certain truth to that at, at that time. And I was a diehard New Yorker, and I wanted to stay in New York, but I had no problem with Hollywood or L.A. I just was a New Yorker, and I liked New York. Uh, so I decided to go back to New York and I figured, all right, well, I'm not going to have a career in films. What else can I do? And oddly enough, the week that I got back, a friend of mine said, there's this guy by the name of Rick Dyer 
and he has a game and he wants music for the game. And I thought at that time, and this is around 1993 or 1994, at that time I thought, well, you know, what is he going to do? Like put a sound chip in Monopoly, the board game, or what does that mean? <laughs> and it turns out that Rick Dyer was the creator of a video game called Dragon's Lair, which is a very famous game in the history of video games. And he was doing some, I think they were Blu-ray video games. And so I did two games for him. And then that sort of started my career in video games, because at that time there weren't a whole lot of people doing them. So if you had done one or two, you had a very established resume. Sure. So I did a, I did a couple for him and then, you know, word got out that I was able to do orchestral scores using computers and synthesizers and samplers, which again, back then, this is the 1990s, was an unusual thing. And uh, I, one thing led to another and word spread and, and I was getting hired for jobs. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting the ways that people will build careers in the game industry and then end up in pretty different places than where they started. When did you first have the sense that you would be conducting a live orchestra performing game music? Yeah, so it, it was it wasn't really a sense and it wasn't really anything that I intended. Uh, I was doing some music for a German game developer by the name of Joe Wood. They don't exist anymore now, but they were doing some rally games. And I had gone out to Frankfurt where they were located to meet the development team. And one of the producers at Joe Wood was this guy by the name of Thomas Boker. And one night we decided to go out. It was around Christmas season and in Frankfurt they had this Christmas festival as they do in a lot of Europe. And so we went to this Christmas market, this Christmas festival, and we sat down and started talking. And he said, you know, I, I want to do a concert of just video game music. Do you want to conduct it? And I figured, okay, this guy's probably crazy, but why not? Sure, I'll say yes. And sure enough, a few months later, I got a call from him and he said, okay, well, we're going to do this in Leipzig uh, in the summer of 2003. This would have been early 2002 that he Oh, wow. so I said, great. So it turns out that that was the very first uh, symphonic game music concert in the Western world outside of Japan. And we did it in Leipzig, Germany. But it wasn't something that I had intended on doing, and it wasn't something which was any kind of real focus for me. Uh, but in, in agreeing to do this and then preparing myself to do it and, and then doing it, uh, it really became an art form that I, I really gravitated towards and, and became quite enamored with. So I figured, well, okay, that went pretty well. And we did that same concert series for five years. And then in the last year of that concert series, a new concert series called Play a Video Game Symphony sprang up. And the producer of that concert series asked me if I wanted to conduct his concert series. Uh, so I said, sure, because I was really enjoying doing it. And so then I became uh, the conductor and music director for Play. And that lasted until 2014. And then I took a couple of years off and then I decided there were some things that I really would like to do with a concert series my way. So I decided to create Game On and, uh, and that's the current concert series that we're doing now across the country. 
You selected a number of different pieces for Game On from a wide variety of franchises. There's some action-adventure, there's some horror. Can you tell me a little bit about what your curation process was for the tracks that you selected? Yeah, for sure. It was a long curation process. Uh, the first decision was whether or not we would do it as a franchise concert or whether or not we would do it as a more generalized concert featuring a number of different games. We started developing Game On about three years ago. So it was at the very beginning of 2000, or the very end of 2017. There were a lot of franchise concerts out there. There was the Legend of Zelda concert. Uh, there was a couple of Final Fantasy concerts. There were some early rumblings about uh, Kingdom Hearts doing their own concert. There was some talk about doing a whole Nintendo concert. My thought was... Well, a lot of these franchises are Japanese franchises. What happens to all of the rest of the games? And so I started to look at the sort of palette of non-Japanese games because a lot of them were really coming to prominence. And by the end of 2017 and early 2018, Forbes magazine came out with their top 10 list of video games which is a really popular indication, a really good indication of what games are successful and, and sort of what the hot spot is in games. And for the first time ever, I believe it was either 2017 or 2018, but for the first time ever, there were more non-Japanese titles on the list than there were Japanese titles. Wow. So I sat down with uh, a colleague of mine who is a very hardcore gamer. And I said, what does a concert look like? if we're not doing a franchise concert. And we started to do some research. Uh, we looked at a whole bunch of statistics mm -hmm. about what games were selling well and what pieces of music were popular. And then we started going to forums and just asking people, what do you like listening to? And we came up with the list that is currently the, the catalog of Game On. We have 17 pieces. Sure. Do you uh, do you spend a lot of time playing games? I mean, obviously you're you're pretty busy on your travel schedule and whatnot. But do you like what's your relationship with gaming? I play through my son, so <laughs> I play what he plays. Uh, partly sure. as a parental role, partly because he's introduced me to some interesting games that I like, um, and I'll play the games that I work on. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I can, but I wouldn't call myself necessarily a gamer compared to the folks that I surround myself who call themselves gamers. Uh, one of our producers has a Bioshock tattoo on his arm. Sure. So, uh, you know, he's really hardcore. Uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm hardcore. Uh, I'm more of a passive player and player by necessity when it comes down to the games that I work on. How does it feel then being in a classical environment? For a lot of folks, I imagine that the first time that they're exposed to a symphonic orchestra may be because of a video game concert that you've helped put together. How do you feel about that idea of bringing this classical music experience to people who might not normally consume it otherwise? It's one of the cornerstones of why I do this. It's, it's one of the primary missions of Game On is to bring the younger 
at times uninitiated audience into the concert hall to experience their local orchestra. I've been involved in orchestras since I was 18 years old and have had a love affair with the orchestra ever since. And about 10 years ago, orchestras were dying because they were losing their subscribers because they weren't relevant. They weren't able to connect to that younger group of, of audience members. So I thought, well, I have an opportunity since I was doing orchestral music for video games to make that connection. And it was at about that time, coincidentally, that I had done these GC concerts in Europe that I had told you about with Thomas. Mm-hmm. Those were selling out. I mean, the tickets were flying off the shelves. So it became apparent to me that this was a mechanism, that these concerts were a mechanism that could connect this younger generation audience with this really stoic, traditional, artistic institution that I loved. Uh, so it's a very important part of it for me. I was I was fascinated at the, the range of pieces and what I don't think I fully understood until the concert were the various ways that composers put an identity into the soundtracks they've put together. The sort of rising command of of energy and hope that comes from civilization versus mm-hmm. the like down, eerie feeling of Bioshock. What right. made you decide on the the sort of various energies that you brought to the overall composition? <sighs> Yeah, you mean in the programming of the concert? Yes, the programming. Yeah. That's um, a better phrase. That's a really good question. Part of it was logistical. You know, we didn't want to have two titles that were of the same genre or of competing nature too close to each other. But at mm-hmm. the same time, we wanted to have the theme of the concert be based around genres. So part of the ebb and flow of the concert was based on the genre. And genres, to some extent, will dictate the nature of the music. So if you've got a platformer, that's going to dictate a certain type of music in a very general sense. And if you've got a horror game, that's going to dictate a different kind of music. So there was a certain classification or categorization of music by genre, which was the theme or is the theme of Game Off. After we had settled on the 17 titles that were, that comprised the Game On catalog, we sat down and we played around with the playlist. And we listened to what different iterations of the concert would sound like. And uh, I think in in our discussion, yours and my discussion before we started, um, Mm -hmm. I think you sort of hit on it that we wanted to end with something that was energetic. So you you think about that. You think, you know, at what point is it right to go into something that's more subdued? And at what point is it right to have something more energetic? We wanted to start off with something that everybody would really know and would have a lot of energy. So we hit the audience with Guild Wars, we hit them with World of Warcraft right from the beginning to kind of get them going. Sure. And then the pieces which are maybe either a little less known or from independent developers like Ori and the Blind Forest, which is turning out to be a huge fan favorite. So to my surprise, not because the music isn't great, <laughs> it is. I just didn't realize how big the fan base was for that game. Yeah, um, a friend of a friend of mine who I was with at the concert 
was enjoying the concert and then Ori happened. She's like, oh, they're playing Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's great music. So, but a piece like that is a, has a very different nature than something like World of Warcraft. So, uh, you want to make sure that that there's a logical flow as much as there can be. So, yeah, it was partly the programming was partly due to the nature of the concert, the genre based concert, and then partly just playing with the playlist and seeing what felt right. One of the things, and, and this does lead into another subject we had talked about a little bit before. Mm-hmm. I think many folks are accustomed to playing video games and hearing these commanding orchestral pieces when you're playing through something like Destiny. But when you hear them, even on your headphones, when you're playing a game, it feels very different than when you are sitting in front of a full orchestra with a choir in the background. Right. What does it feel like sort of being the person who's guiding that energy as the conductor? Right. Well, in Game On, we are the only show out there that does it without a click track. So all these other concerts, when you go to these concerts, the conductor is wearing a headset or an earpiece that has a click. And the conductor has to conduct to that click, which is guiding the time. And because the time is being determined by a click, they're able to sync to the video. In Game On, since I've been doing this for 20 years, I can just watch the video and I know what the tempo is supposed to be. So I do it without click. And what that does is it allows us, yeah, yeah, people don't realize that because we do a really good job of syncing up the video to the music, but that's just 20 years of experience. Um, But what it does is it gives the orchestra a chance to breathe and it gives me a chance to be more expressive. So... Your question, which is a good one, is that you're dealing with live human beings and the live human beings are giving human expression in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And that, that sense of human expression in the moment, they're reacting to the audience. And all of that creates an energy that usually is an enhancement to what you might get on a recording, even if it's a live recording. Yeah. If, you, if you take the click out of it so that now the musicians are free to breathe, they're free to express themselves in time. Uh, If you take that out of it, it just enhances that by tenfold and gives it even that much more energy or that much more expression. Wow. I did notice on the the subject of things that feel unique to Game On, Mm -hmm. uh, most of the the concerts that I've attended have not had a a choir in addition to an orchestra. So... What is it like having the, even just that, I, I imagine that there's a, a different experience to trying to make sure that the the choir performing the sea shanty from Assassin's Creed 4 yeah, right. is sort of moving in the same direction as opposed to working with, uh, with a number of instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having a choir is an amazing thing. I, I can tell you a story which sort of answers your question. It was in the Portland rehearsals before the show when we were rehearsing. Mm-hmm. We pulled up Destiny 2, and Destiny 2 has this huge choir part in, in the middle and end of it. And we get to the choir part, and you know, I've heard the piece, I've got the recording, I've got the game, and I, I've always loved the piece, but we start going through it, and the choir started singing. And by the time we get to the end, we stop at the end and I just stood there at the podium, just speechless because it was just 
so glorious with all of these singers. We had, I think, 60 singers in addition to the 80 musicians. And the sound was just phenomenal. It was just something that was undescribable compared to what I had heard on the soundtrack. And that soundtrack recording that uh, Mike Salvatore and Sky Lewin did is fantastic. I mean, they had the Kronos Quartet playing the opening quartet, and you know, that's the cream of the crop quartet. But sure. there was something about having that choir there in the room with all of those musicians, which brought it to a different level, even for me. Well, I've, I have to imagine that even with 20 years experience and a, and a number of trained professionals, there are some difficulties that come about when you're trying to you know, put together a performance of this scale, sync up with a video. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are some of the technical difficulties, the the challenges that can come with a performance like this? I think the trickiest part uh, for me with Game On is I have to tell the orchestras, all of the orchestras that we mm-hmm. perform with, that we're not on click because there's an expectation in video game music concerts that there's a click track. And so there's a tendency for the orchestra to not, um, how do I say this, to not pay attention to the conductor in, this, <laughs> in the same way, in a different way. And they don't pay attention to the conductor in the same way that they would or that they do with us where there isn't a click track. So, for example, in Oregon, uh, the show that you were at, I said to the orchestra right away, we're not on click. So please watch me as much as you can. And we were in rehearsal, we were doing, I think it was until dawn. And I got a little bit behind because there's no click. I was probably about two beats behind where I should have been Mm. to sync up with the video. And I started going faster. And the orchestra was right on. And within a bar or two, we were back in sync. If the orchestra isn't aware of it, because they've become so accustomed to click, in these kinds of shows, they can not necessarily be on the mark with the conductor. Uh, sure. Of course, you know, great orchestras are, are accustomed to being right there with the conductor. But if they're used to having click in these kinds of shows, you have to let them know that there's a click. So that's, that's one of the technical issues. Another technical issue, I, I think, is, you know, with, with this kind of a concert, the program isn't known to these musicians and they don't really spend much time with the music before the concert. So you get to the first rehearsal and everybody's reading the music for the very first time. It becomes a question of getting the right interpretation as quickly as possible because you have limited rehearsal time. Uh, One of the things we do in Game On is we do the big piano solo comes masterpiece from Bioshock. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that's no walk in the park that piano solo I've had. A <laughs> number of symphony pianists come up to me afterwards and say, hey, that was really hard. You have to make sure that these players get this music beforehand. So part of it, since our show has all brand new music that people haven't heard before, uh, part of it is making sure that you know how to prepare the orchestra. Do you feel like there's a attention that comes with trying to convince folks who may be more classically trained to, I guess, take material from video games seriously? Not as much as there used to be. 
So when I did the very first symphonic game music concert back in 2003, the orchestra really, the players of the orchestra were really resistant to doing the concert. They thought this is video game music. What does this have to do with the symphony orchestra? And then these kinds of concerts became very popular. They were selling out. Uh, all of a sudden, film kind of got on board and started doing film music concerts. Of course, sure. John Williams shows up and you know blows everybody out of the water, and his music stands on its own in the concert hall as well as on film. And it becomes something which becomes part of the popular culture. So I think orchestras are more receptive to it now. I think what the orchestras now look at is the actual program. So it's not so much a question of, well, this is a video game music concert, or this is a film music concert, or this is Brahms or Beethoven. It's, that's not the question. Mm -hmm. I think what the orchestras are asking themselves is, what is the quality of the music? In fact, I had this conversation with somebody at the National Symphony who performed at the Kennedy Center, the Amon performed at the Kennedy Center, uh, three weeks prior to Portland to the organ symphony. And one of the players came up to me afterwards and, and said, you know, this is actually quite a challenging program, the Game On program. And I said to the player, that was part of our purpose. I wanted to make sure that the arrangements that we were doing actually gave the players something that they could dig their teeth into, that they could sink their teeth into. Because I think they appreciate that. I, You know, speaking of that, I think... This is a really interesting time to bring up uh, the Portal 2 mm -hmm. selection. So this yeah. was, you said this is a uh, an original composition, an orchestral composition that you created from a game that has entirely like synthesized music, correct? Yeah, Portal 2 is a, is a great story. So I had actually done a Portal 2 arrangement for play back in 2013 or something like that. Okay. And it was nice and, and it, it turned out really well. And one of the things I wanted to do with Game On was I wanted to make sure that the music we were presenting in Game On was as brand new as it could be. So that people weren't going, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody loves Mario, but how many times have we heard da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Right. In concert. I want to make sure that the music we were doing, even if it was a franchise that has been played like World of Warcraft, I wanted to make sure that the music of that franchise was something that wasn't so known in the concert hall. So we get to Portal 2, and we decide that we want to do some stuff from Portal 2. And I was kind of doing some research on YouTube and just listening to different things, and I came across this guy from South Korea, this guy by the name of Kays Lee. And he had done this version, this Portal 2 medley, all on sampler samples and synthesizers and computers and whatnot. And it sounded pretty cool. And so I called up Mike Moraski, the composer for Portal 2. And I'm talking to Mike, and I'm like, you know, Mike, I want to do some new music for Portal 2 for the concert. And he says, that's fine. You know, whatever you want to do is great. Um, but have you heard this guy? His name's Keyes Lee, and he's out of South Korea. And I said, Mike, I just heard him like two days ago. It's an amazing arrangement. So I told Mike I would try to reach out to this guy. So I get onto YouTube, and I send this guy a message through YouTube. Hey, we're doing a concert. We're going to premiere at the Kennedy Center of the National Symphony. We would love to adapt your arrangement for orchestra. And within like an hour, this guy, Keyes, emails me back just his mind blown. He's a complete amateur, has no real training or background, uh, wow. you know, has a day gig, which is totally different, but he's really into it. But he was really a little paranoid because he said, I'm not a trained musician. 
I just put stuff in the computer. And I said to him, okay, don't worry about it. Send me whatever files you have from your computer and we'll take care of everything else. So he did. And actually, surprisingly enough, the files were pretty good. I mean, he had a really good innate sense of how the orchestra works. So we took his files, uh, we cleaned them up a little bit. I added like a little bit of sprinkle here and a little bit of coloring there. And that became the Portal 2 arrangement. Wow. Yeah. It was a real international effort, you know? Yeah. Do you have many situations where you end up working with sort of sort of new un untested talent or not untested, but with new talent in the space? Uh, I would say that that's the majority of the cases, uh, the, the latter part of what you said, which is untested talent in the space. So even for guys that did the soundtrack recordings with orchestra in a recording studio, that's a very different animal than doing a live orchestra concert. And you have to arrange and orchestrate the music differently for a live performance than you would for a recording session. And if you think about it, in a recording session, if you've got the whole orchestra playing, including a harp, you can turn up the level of the harp and have the harp be as loud as you want or as right. soft as you want. When you're live, you don't have that luxury. The harp is going to certain, sit in a certain sonic space, whether you like it or not. So you have to orchestrate the music and write the music accordingly. So more often than not, the composers that we're dealing with are all really talented. I would say 75% of them have significant backgrounds and, and know their way around an orchestra. But even with those guys, it, it helps because not a lot of them were familiar with the live orchestra mm -hmm. scene and what that means and what the differences are. So the typical conversation was I would get a score from a composer and I would say, hey, you know, if you double this instrument with that instrument, you're going to get the same color, but it's going to stand out a little bit more and be a little bit closer to what you're hearing on the soundtrack. And for sure. the most part, most of the guys and gals were, were cool with that. You know, I, I wonder, how does the... You're, you're still working in games, crafting game music, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does your experience conducting orchestras affect your your composition style? Do you feel like it's changed the ways that you've approached some of these compositions? Yeah, it definitely affects it. I, it's, a, it's a good question. I think that working in a live situation makes you very aware of what makes players comfortable and what makes them uncomfortable. And I think one of the best things that you can do for your music beyond writing the actual notes in a way that is viable for the situation in the game. Um, one of the things you can do is try to write music that is comfortable for the players that you're dealing with, because if they're comfortable, they're going to play well. Uh, and no matter how good the music is, if the players aren't playing that music well, it's not going to stand up to the level of the written music. Um, so that's made me very aware. Doing live concerts has made me very aware of the player's experience. And I think that sometimes with some people that's missing in their, in their music. They're not aware of the player's situation. So they'll do things, they'll ask players to do things which really 
are uncomfortable and, and then make the music awkward. Even though a sampler or a synthesizer or a computer could make it sound really cool, it's awkward from a human standpoint. Um, doing live concerts helps to alleviate that. Do you, I, I guess, to kind of start wrapping up a little bit, if you feel like there is a, do you feel like there's a takeaway? What would you hope that people would take away from attending a concert like Game On? What's your your sort of intent by creating that piece? Uh, there's a couple. The and, and sort of the large picture, um, I hope that we're able to introduce the uninitiated orchestra audience member to the symphony orchestra in a way that allows them to enjoy not only what we're doing, but become curious about the other things that the symphony orchestra, what their local symphony orchestra is doing. So I once said in, in another interview that if, um, if I'm able to get a 13-year-old to enjoy Game On in such a way that from, in 10 years from now, that 13-year-old at the age of 23 goes and sees, uh, you know, Brahms or Beethoven or or whoever the local orchestra might be performing, that helps everybody. So that, that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing that's really important to me about this is there's some amazing music that my colleagues are making for video games. I mean, stuff that is at the level of the best in the repertoire of classical music. It's really, there is some amazing stuff out there. And there's no reason that people should in any way categorize it in a different category or with a different understanding or perception than any other music that's in the symphony orchestra's repertoire. And I would love to see the programming of video game music and to a larger extent film music not be segregated from the programming of traditional orchestra music. So if you're going to go see a concert of Beethoven and the first half of the concert is Beethoven and the second half of the concert is Brahms, well, why not have the first half of the concert be Beethoven and the second half of the concert be World of Warcraft? Sure. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? And there are some really interesting combinations. Like you could do Holst, like the planets, and then do a video game like, I don't know, Civilization, or even a better example would be do Bartok and then in the first half of the concert and then Civilization in the second half of the concert because both of those genres of music, Bella Bartok, the composer, and mm -hmm. Civilization, the game, have heavy influence of indigenous ethnic music. And it would be a great combination. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I... I now have music to look up for myself as well. <laughs> I've got I've got three questions that are sure. uh, that I'll close up with. Okay. Uh, one of them is, I know it's hard to choose your you know choose your children, but of the of the compositions that you have had an opportunity to conduct, mm -hmm. um, let's say in the Game On concert, which one do you enjoy the most? Yeah, I'm not going to choose my children. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't. I can't answer that. I, what I will say is it's very special to do Civilization live because I worked on the soundtrack. Okay. So that's really special. And, the, and I've been very close with 
the team that does civilization for many, many years. So that, that feels really good. Um, but beyond that, which is a very special situation, and, and in no way does that imply that that's my favorite piece. Certainly. Uh, I, I can't say which is my favorite. I, I think they all are, you know. Okay. I, I kind of, I thought that might be how that worked out, but I figured I'd still ask. My, my second question is, obviously, there are a wide number of franchises you've been able to conduct pieces from. Is there a franchise out there that you haven't gotten your hands on yet that you, that you feel like you would love to? Yeah, Nintendo. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to get Nintendo titles into the console. I think it's almost... I think that when you look at the Nintendo titles and the evolution of the music in those titles over the past 10 years, they've been very true to their artistic roots and yet have grown in a way that is current with the trends in the industry. And I think they've been really successful doing that. I think the music of Nintendo has been spectacular through the years. And I would love to have some Nintendo. Yeah. They I will say I was I was surprised at Super Mario Odyssey, how what a wide range of, of selections there are there, but it seems like every time there's a new Mario title, um, they do some really amazing art orchestral work. Yep. Nintendo does music well. So I'll I'll close with the question that I, I have ask everyone on the interview um, but I'll, I will tweak it a little bit in case it's more relevant for you that way mm -hmm. so IntelliGame is really about trying to create connections between games and the world around us mm -hmm. so if you had to pick a game that sort of showed people what you felt was important about gaming your IntelliGame so to speak mm -hmm. what would that be if a better question for you is um, is there a piece of music that you feel like shows people what's important to you in game music and composition? What would be your uh, Intella composition as well? Mm -hmm. as well? well, they're very different questions. Um, I think the Can first... You, do you have both? I, I might. The okay. first question is more of like a societal impact. And again, I'm not a hardcore gamer, so it's hard for me to, to really give these answers. But what I will say is from what I know, which is, I think what we do in Civ, in the Civilization games, and particularly what Jeff Noir and uh, Roland Rizzo and, and Mike Coran in the early days, what those guys did with the Civilization music spreads awareness of other cultures' music through a medium that is very accessible to the Western ear. And that, I think, is terrific. Um, you know, you can listen to the soundtrack of Civ Five or Civ Six and listen to music that is playing right off of real, authentic, indigenous melodies from all sorts of different parts of the world and all sorts of different periods of time. And in a way that you're gonna gravitate towards, that's very accessible, and that's great. It, I think it expands the ear and it brings cultural awareness. Yeah. For the second question, 
I'm not sure. I think it's harder for me to answer the same question because I don't have enough experience with enough of the games to to qualify uh, which one would be best or, or which one resonates the most. I can tell you that I think what um, Gary Scheinman did with Bioshock is really wonderful. He brought this early 20th century avant-garde style into a video game. And it, it's something which hadn't been tried, at least to my knowledge, hadn't been tried up until then, and he was really successful. I think the music for Ori and the Blind Forest is perfectly in line with the artistic statement of the game. And I think just as a combination, the music and the image and the gameplay in Ori is one of the best combinations that I've seen. Like, I think that match in that game is just splendid. And I think that's why it's won all sorts of awards. Um, I have a lot of respect and admiration for what the guys at Blizzard have done over the years. I mean, the catalog of music is huge, and so much of it is so good. Um, so, yeah, that, that I guess is as far as I could go with that. Sure. Well, Andy Brick, thank you for being on Intelligame Radio. I appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Josh. I really enjoyed this. Andy Brick is a composer, conductor, and symphonist. You can find out more information about him at andybrick.com. The next Game On concert is scheduled for May 21st, 2020 at the Jones Hall in Houston, Texas, events permitting. It'll be performed in combination with the Houston Symphony Orchestra. You can find out more information about the Game On Concert series at GameOnConcert.com. I can remember sitting with an old friend back in middle school in one of the guidance counselor's offices. I think it was for chess club. The counselor was out at the moment, but he let us use his office for games. I was really stoked. I just received songs with attitude in the mail. Hooking my portable CD player into the counselor's desktop speakers, I listened as the themes of Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, and the rest of the Sonic Adventure cast played in full. I mean, there were even entire sections of the song that I'd never heard in the game. By the time my friend arrived in the office, the original tracks had already played, and the remixes were starting. Hold on, let me restart the CD, I said. The remix tracks make more sense when you've heard the originals. You don't have to, I don't really care, he responded. As one of the roughly seven memories I've carried from middle school into adulthood, I guess that moment hit me pretty hard. But then I've always had an appreciation for game music that reached beyond most of my friends. In high school, I'd skateboard to school with my mini-disc player loaded up with OC remixes of Mega Man and Mega Man X tracks. They're channeled from a special community that would remix all sorts of original, old-school, retro, or new games. When Final Fantasy XIII came out, I fell so in love with its soundtrack that I scoured the internet until I could finally find a copy, and then I played it on loop, and instantly pre-ordered Thirteen Two when I found out that there was a version that came with the soundtrack. Actually, on the topic of Final Fantasy soundtracks, I also imported the limited edition Final Fantasy XV Japanese soundtrack, which was the only way to get the Blu-ray disc that contains tracks from every Final Fantasy game ever released. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and get real. While actually writing this piece, I ended up checking Spotify to see if the Sonic Adventure soundtrack was there, because I don't still have access to it. Turns out it is, alongside a lot of other great Sega music. After losing a good 15-20 minutes rocking out to the first few tracks from Digilog Conversation, which is the true Sonic Adventure soundtrack, I promptly searched for other game soundtracks. I also bought a copy of the limited edition Final Fantasy XIII soundtrack off of eBay so that I can own it legally. Music does something to me, I guess. It's easy to underestimate the influence that music has on our world, but we know it intrinsically. Who hasn't listened to a special playlist when they were sad? Turned on a particularly hype-heavy track when trying to get some extra reps at the gym or to meet a deadline? Who hasn't traveled back in time at the first note of a song that reminds them of a past relationship or a family gathering? Music weaves its way into our experiences, changing our perceptions of the world like wearing color-tinted glasses. Game music sets the tone and guides us through each digital landscape as we explore, fight, race, learn, and so on. But for me, there's always been something special about listening to a game soundtrack outside of the game. Movie soundtracks are similar. Specific pieces rekindle memories of scenes or particular lines and emotions. But when I'm playing a game, even when I know I love the music, I still have to split my focus. I'm guiding the heroes, making the choices. This might be why I've always fallen for games that integrate music into their gameplay. Dance Dance Revolution, DJ Hero, Luminous, and more recently, Sayonara Wild Hearts and Tetris Effect. These integrations bring the sound, the music, front and center. It requires you to pay the music its due. And there's so much to gain when you put music at the forefront. The first video game concert I went to was during the pilot run of Video Games Live, And honestly, all I can really remember of the show is that there were tons of laser lights and electric guitar. Sure, there were tracks from video games, but it didn't feel like I was experiencing the environments the games created. Instead, I felt like I was at an 80s rock concert. But what's done it for me are symphonies. Full orchestras playing video game compositions. Oftentimes, they play with giant projections of scenes from the game for the audience. No matter how many times you play a game, listening through the highest quality speakers, it's not the same as hearing it live. Now, just a few minutes ago, you heard Andy venture the idea of concerts that are half classical composers, half game music. I can admit that even in my own head, the idea sounded unusual at first read, but modern composers are making fascinating, gripping works of art for games. If 300 years in the future, a live concert of Halo and Destiny music were performed, I can guarantee it would evoke feelings of awe. A Nintendo concert would still create whimsy. A Final Fantasy concert feelings of hope and triumph. I can imagine a future where composers like Nobuo Uematsu and Koji Kondo are studied alongside Beethoven and Chopin, assuming they're not already. Perhaps you could have discussions about people who crossed from movies into video games like Michael Giacchino. Or some of the women who are out there doing composing, like Michiru Oshima. And there is an entire host of other game music out there to explore. As well as music inspired by games? Entire albums that take energy from League of Legends. 
lo-fi remixes of Nintendo tracks. Last week, I started playing One Step from Eden, a roguelike inspired by the Mega Man Battle Network series. I'd played the game in beta and loved it, but it wasn't until I started listening to the soundtrack outside of the gameplay that I really could hear the tonal references to games in the Mega Man Battle Network series, including the GameCube title Mega Man Network Transmission, which I think has a really different tone. But it gave me a whole new appreciation for the game as a whole that I might have missed if I just heard the music while fighting foes. Music shapes our world in beautiful ways. In games, the music runs alongside us as we learn not just about that particular title, but about ourselves in that virtual space. Games channel some of the best creative talent we have to offer, and blends an array of experiences together into one amazing product. That said, there's something to separating those pieces, and appreciating each of them for what they contribute to an amazing whole. I didn't expect that I was going to do a director's cut style cutaway, but reading this essay does remind me of an experience I had. I think this was a couple of years ago in New York. The Kingdom Hearts Symphonic concert was taking place. They had a concert series that they were doing, and I'm not a big Kingdom Hearts fan, but I was already in town for Game Devs of Color Expo, and so I got the opportunity to attend and write a review about the experience. I took my uncle with me to the show, and he's not a gamer at all, (laughs) and wasn't familiar with Kingdom Hearts, and so as we were riding the subway over to the show, I talked to him a little bit about what the franchise was supposed to be and whatnot. He's completely green when it comes to the game space, so as we were walking up and I saw people dressed up in various costumes that I recognized from the Kingdom Hearts universe, He was a little confused, but once we arrived at the concert, and it really was an amazing concert, I think there was an appreciation that just naturally comes over somebody when you hear beautiful music. Sure, it was matched up with scenes from video games that probably outside of the context of Kingdom Hearts seemed a little strange, but you could tangibly feel the energy of all of the people in the crowd who were passionate about that game, who would see Sora or Roxas show up on screen, and that energy was infectious. As I sit here recording and practicing responsible social distancing, it gives me an even greater appreciation for the times that I've been able to spend with other people appreciating this medium that I love. Whether it was my uncle learning about this strange world where Disney characters mix with video game characters, or my friend Judy just erupting in joy once Ori in the Blind Forest was played at Game On. Hi, by the way, Judy. I think those are perhaps the experiences that, to me, become so incredibly satisfying. Experiences where I can share a passion and excitement and an understanding of all of the component pieces that make up video games, and to be able to bring it to people no matter what their capability or interest in games, whether somebody who has played Ori and loves it, or who hasn't touched a game in years. 
Experiences like these concerts give everybody an opportunity to understand that there's more to the game space than just what they might hear about in terms of first-person shooters or whatever the drama of the day happens to be. Even so, I don't know that I fully appreciated what it meant to be able to share physical space with other people who have a love for games and games music, perhaps until now. For the time being, it seems that many of us will be enjoying the things we love about games in relative isolation. But perhaps this isolation also gives us a chance to focus, some time to hone in on the specifics of things that we really enjoy, to explore, to learn, and to share them with each other, at least digitally. Our world is one with a great many upcoming challenges, but also a great number of possibilities as well. Perhaps this is an opportunity for us to choose our soundtrack, to set the tone for how we approach the future, to find some hope, optimism, and community, even in troubled times. Many of us have taken some time over the past couple of weeks to reconnect a little bit with nature. This next game recommendation, made by IntelliGame Club curator Jenny Wyndham, gives you not only the chance to explore some digital nature, but also explore some great music as well. While I'm not a person who, by any stretch of the imagination, actually has a green thumb, I really love plants and trying to grow things. My partner and I have been fortunate enough to move into a place with a yard about a year ago, so in addition to my motley crew of houseplants that I've managed to keep alive, despite my cat's best efforts, this spring I'm especially excited to plant my garden. Last year, our first spring in our new home, I did have a hodgepodge grouping of plants that were left there from the last folks who cared for the place, as well as a few I threw in myself because they seemed relatively hardy and alive, and okay, maybe a few were also on sale at Freddy's, which helped you girl out because purchasing all these new gardening supplies does add up. And while it definitely was not what anyone with actual gardening skills would call a beautiful green oasis, this garden was mine. The act of collecting the seeds I wanted to grow, putting them into the ground, and yes, even sometimes chatting to them as I weeded, since somewhere I read plants appreciate kind words too, this was something I found to be immensely grounding and therapeutic in so many ways, and I'm excited to continue this new pastime as much as I am able in these more uncertain and trying times of the world today. That's where Mutazione comes in. In this indie game developed by Degute Fabrique and published by Akupara Games, you're brought to an island where humans have been morphed into what they call themselves as mutants due to an apocalyptic meteor strike. And in this post-apocalyptic world, though you're not combating zombies or fighting for survival, you're instead trying to find ways to thrive in a place with various traditions and people who all almost seem a little bit forgotten by the rest of the world. As Kai, a young woman meeting her grandfather for the first time while also taking care of him, you realize that this is a neighborhood and island that hasn't been cultivated in quite some time. The relationships between inhabitants as well as the physical gardens of the islands themselves have largely been left alone, which, while not dangerous or deadly, does make you feel that there's a lot lacking. You've got Tung, who's trying to restore a ship and perhaps leave the island while grappling with memories of his father. Mew, whose seemingly aloof nature shields an incredibly kind heart and heartbreaking past. And love triangles, 
oh my goodness, there are love triangles on this island, and roaming hot dogs and forest spirits, but now I'm just getting excited and off on a little bit of a tangent. In Mita Zayone, you'll learn the tradition of healing and growing gardens from Kai's grandfather, Nono. You'll both create gardens to suit the moods of the inhabitants of the island, as well as playing music to enhance the growth and compositions of the gardens themselves. All of this is done through a point-and-click adventure game-style exploration, where you wander the island, speak with its inhabitants, and collect seeds to grow gardens in various plots around that island. What truly makes this experience worth settling into are tending to the gardens themselves. There's something incredibly relaxing and calming about gathering the seeds and planting them, even virtually. Gardens will be requested through different in-game events and story plots for different people, so you'll have goals in terms of what type of tone your garden will hopefully set. And each seed, each plant, represents both a specific mood as well as a actual sound from an orchestra. You'll be able to truly spend hours experimenting with creating from similar palettes of plants and moods like melancholy or euphoria, or simply mix and match to create a small composition of your very own. You'll also be able to speed up the growth of your plants by playing your own music and hear how that affects the composition as a whole as the plants grow. There's a separate free garden mode that allows you to forego the story and simply play with the different garden plots and seeds you've collected, and there have been multiple instances where I've just let the garden sit on my second monitor, playing as my background noise while I work and observe the garden as the virtual day progresses. It's an exercise in patience, relaxation, an intentional creation all in digital form. But of course, really don't miss out on the story. The narrative of this game is a beautiful one as well that speaks to the fact that communities and the ties that we have together really go perhaps deeper than one may think. Tending to gardens and people is something that can heal us as much as it can help heal what we're caretaking. And Mutazione reminds us of this. Sometimes it can be helpful not just to always talk, but to just take a moment and sit, reflect, and perhaps even enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can find Mutazionia on Steam, Epic, GOG, Apple Arcade, and PlayStation 4. And thank you for listening to this week's recommendation. That was a recommendation from IntelliGame Club curator Jenny Windham. Find more of her work on Twitter at Kimchika25. To learn more about the IntelliGame Club, Search for it on our website, or search for IntelliGame Club wherever you get your podcasts. Alright, that does it for another edition of IntelliGame Radio. I've been your host, Josh Boykin, and you can find me on Twitter at Wallstormer. Another special thanks to this week's guest, Andy Brick. Keep an eye on the homepage, IntelliGame.us, or follow us on social media at IntelliGameUs for more content connecting games with your world. You can also sign up for our newsletter at intgm.us newsletter. If you'd like to help support IntelliGames efforts, consider funding us on Patreon. Currently, due to the spread of COVID-19, all of our Patreon funds are being donated to charity. April's funds will be split between City Meals on Wheels and a fundraising effort to obtain personal protective equipment for hospitals. You can learn more about these efforts at patreon.com slash us. Thank you so much for your time this week, everyone. Stay safe, stay socially distanced, stay washing your hands, and until next time, keep IntelliGaming.